Well, good morning. Good Sunday morning, Chapel Roswell. I am so glad to be here with each and every one of you. My name is Joe McKechnie, and I am so blessed to be the pastor here. And it's so, so great to be in worship with each and every one of you. A full house this morning. We're glad that you're here. Now, if we leave here not knowing anything else, I want you to know three things, okay? Three words I want you to repeat after me, okay? First word, justification. Okay, good. We're one for three. Okay, that's good. Justification. Second word, by. Third word, faith. Okay, so you add those together, justification by faith, what does that mean? How is that good news? How does that break the rules? We'll talk about that in a matter of mere moments. Now, you've heard the expression maybe, no rules, just right. Who has that slogan? Just shout it out. Outback, Outback Steakhouse, that's right, in, in uh, 2013 actually, <laughs> what did I get wrong? Outback Steakhouse, that's right. In 2013, the national restaurant chain started using that slogan. Okay, obviously, do they really mean no rules? I mean, are there really rules in life? Can you just bring your own food, or can you come wearing no clothes? Can you just lay down on the bar? No, I mean, there, there obviously are rules that you have within Outback, okay? Uh, of course, there are rules that you have to have. So, so what do they mean by that? I mean, they're trying to emulate the, the wilderness of, of the Australian Outback where this rugged landscape and this, this, this terrain that, that takes a lot of skill and, and determination and maybe some bravery to, to try to maneuver. And so this morning we're kicking off a three-part series entitled, No Rules, No Rules. And what does that mean? Remember those three words I just mentioned earlier? Who can remember those? Justification by faith. That's what we're trying to portray. That's what we're trying to send forth this morning. Are we saying that there are no rules in life? No, far from it. Are there no values? Far from it. Are there no values, no biblical principles? No, far from it. But, but sadly, many people in our culture, many people and even in our secular society, uh, we, we view Christianity as just a set of rules or rituals or regulations that you have to kind of navigate through ever so carefully in order to win your way into salvation. But the scripture is saying, no, it's not about justification by rules. It's justification by what? justification by faith. That being a follower of Christ is not about obeying these rules, okay? Not trying to, to outdo our own strength or our own flesh. It's about trying to earn not God's love because of our own power, but the justification by faith. Not about rituals that lead to salvation, but rather salvation that leads to a new life, that leads to a transformation of who we are, but more importantly, of whose we are. Okay, so Jesus equals grace. Now, granted, once we are followers of Christ, our lives will be transformed. We'll see things in a new light. We'll see things differently than maybe we ever did before. The ways that we respond to our circumstances will be different. The ways we respond to other people will be different. The ways we respond to forgiveness or the needs for mercy or grace of others are going to be different. But we don't earn our salvation by keeping these rules Okay, rather it's through the grace of Christ, the justification by faith. We'll talk more about that in a second. Once we've found that salvation, once we've experienced that justification by faith, okay, that, that grace that God freely pours out on each of us, we'll live our lives in such a new way. God's not looking for robots who are just willing to do all these little things because truthfully, without the ability to say no in answer or response of yes, is kind of meaningless. So our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans. I'll talk more about that in a second. I need to ask for your forgiveness for a second. We had basketball all day yesterday. We've got basketball all day today. 
I haven't had the time to, to eat dinner last night, let alone have any breakfast. So, so, so bear with me for one second, okay? I want to try something. You guys just, just fall asleep on your own time. We'll be okay. I want to try something, though. Can you guys still hear me back there? Okay, remember we talked about Outback. Now, I'm not a real expert on many things in life, and I certainly am not an expert on ironing, but I, I think if we try something here, we might be able to experience something unique together. So let me see if I've got this right. My hand sanitizer, okay, remember that. That's very, very important. Now, how many of you have one of those George Foreman grills at home? Okay, two of you. Okay, that, 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 defies, <laughs> that defies the market research that I did for this sermon prep. So but let's try that again. How many of you really have a George Foreman grill at home? Okay, that, that's more statistically accurate. Okay, now, now I'm starving. And I was just thinking about our George Foreman grill. I didn't bring it to church with me. I don't have it in person. I don't travel with it. But I was just thinking, really, all it is, it's two metal surfaces coming together. And what does it do? It heats the meat or the food that you're trying to prepare. Now, I often carry around bags of raw chicken in my car, which you can see here. And I was just thinking, if the George Foreman concept is accurate, I've got an iron here. I carry around the iron in my car because whenever I have to do a, a wedding or a funeral, I've got this robe that I have to wear and don. And, and so I have the iron so I can just kind of iron my robe and make it looking you know, crisp and, and, and nice. Okay, so remember, justification by what? Justification by faith. The word justify, it means to be made right. Okay, justify, to be made right, justification. Justification by what? By faith. So we're made right by our actions? No. By what? By our faith. So, so I want to see if, if my, uh, my instinct here works. Now, I have a Georgia graduate degree, so let's see how well that works. Okay. So I've got the raw chicken, and I was thinking that if, if my George Foreman grill is accurate in, in its depiction of what it does, you, you, you just take the iron. Ooh, that is hot. And if you just kind of sear it into what you're doing, if we were just to leave that alone for a second, it's obviously going to cook the chicken. And so by the time I'm done preaching in 16.5 minutes, then this should be ready. This should be right, okay? Any of you want to take a dare with me, then I'll eat it in 16.5 minutes, okay? So we are justified by what? We are justified by our faith. Okay, remember the word justification means to be made right. We are being made right not by our actions, not by our behavior. We are made right by our faith. So I want to pick up the scripture in the book of Romans, Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul writing to the Christians in the big capital city of Rome, the most populated, wealthy city there was on the planet at the time. Romans 8, 1 and 2. This is what he says. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's kind of powerful stuff, but, but what does that mean, Joe? How, do, how in the world does that apply to me? How in the world does that apply to you using a grill to, to, to cook chicken up on the, the, the stage? Wow, it actually is working pretty well. I meant to bring... Okay, it's getting there. Okay, just, just, just bear with me. Okay, we're down to about 14 minutes. We're going to be okay. Okay, no, no, no condemnation. The scripture says no condemnation in Christ. That's powerful, and that's something I want you to remember always. No condemnation. What does it mean to be condemned? When you think of the word condemned, what comes to mind? 
maybe a condemned criminal or, or somebody on death row, somebody who is beyond return, beyond repair, someone who is condemned to die. They're paying the ultimate penalty. But, but, but Paul is saying there is no condemnation in Christ. Why not? Well, because he goes on to say, it's the law that finds us guilty, okay? The rules and the rituals and the regulations that find us guilty. But Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, that's important stuff to remember, okay? That's what I want you to take away from our time together this morning, okay? That doesn't mean that there's not going to be consequences for our sin. Far from it. But it does mean that despite our sin, despite how far gone we may have been or we may have felt, that we have been brought back into a relationship with God through our faith. Not through our actions, not through what we do, it's through faith. Now, when our faith is genuine, you're going to see fruit of that, and you're going to see our, our lives are going to reflect that, our behavior is going to reflect that, the way we interact will reflect that. Let me see how we're doing. Are we doing okay? Okay, I think it's time to do the other side. Okay, we're going to be all right. just want to set that, set it and forget it. Okay, I remember that from somewhere. Okay. You see, rules, what do they focus on? The, the, the rules focus on the outward, okay? What, what's on the outside, not what's on the inside. Faith is about those things that we believe in our innermost being, okay? okay? Now, now, a life of faith is going to have evidence. It's going to bear fruit. It should be lived out publicly so that people can see that we are a follower of Christ, but it's not our outward actions that lead to salvation. To the contrary, Paul is saying, it's our salvation that then leads to a new life. It's our salvation that leads to new experiences. It's our salvation that leads to a new way. Our outward actions are the result of an inward change, not the cause of an inward change. Okay, hear that again. Okay, our, our outward actions, they're a result of that inward change. They're not the cause of that inward change. Our eight-year-old daughter plays basketball, and I remember when she first started, she was in first grade. These eight girls from this first grade team came together. They had not even had a practice yet because of the weather and all the scheduling. And to see their first game, I mean, it was a hot mess. They, they had never dribbled the basketball before. They'd never passed it before. They'd never been in real game situations. Honestly, in this case, not even in practice or simulation before. And so you, you talk about a, a hot mess. That's what it was like. It was almost painful and unbearable to watch, to teach them the rules and the way you play a basketball game. Now, now, there are rules in basketball. There are rules in every sport. Why? It is to keep things competitive, to keep things fair, to, to, to make sure that there's not chaos, there's not anarchy out there. Okay, it, it's kind of like the, 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 the borders that you need around water. Water in itself could be a, a very helpful thing. We need water to survive. We need it to drink. We need it for sewage and things like that. But, but too much water is going to lead to flooding. It could lead to death and, and devastation. So, so the water without the rules, without uh, the, the, the proper channels can be deadly. And that's what Paul is writing to the Romans about. He's saying, you guys are called to live your lives differently. Okay, not so that you can experience and receive salvation, but because you have received and experienced salvation. So when we talk about our faith in Christ, many assume that it's just a series of rules and rituals and regulations about obeying a long list of do's and don'ts. And there's a tendency to boil down Christianity to a rules-based system of morality. Okay, now the unintended result of that is that very often we believe that we have to do certain things in order to receive or merit the love of God. 
But what Paul is saying is, is no, your lives are not the cause of your salvation. Uh, your lives are the result, the fruit of your salvation. Okay, we already know that it's justification by what? By faith. By faith. Radical faith is not about us trying to win the affections of God. Okay, now to the contrary, hear the words from Matthew 18, 12. This is Jesus talking. He says, what do you think? He's talking to his disciples. He said, if a man owns a hundred sheep, one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 to go and look for the one that has wandered off? Well, think about that for a second. You've got a hundred sheep, one of them wanders off. You leave the 99 so they can tend to themselves, they can fend for themselves, and what do you do? You go out and you look for that other one. You go seeking and you go searching for that one that has wandered. I mean, that just speaks of God's radical love for you and for me. I love that because it tells us a lot about God and it tells us a lot about the ways in which God views us, that you are someone worth pursuing, that you are someone worth fighting for. And for some of you, maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you haven't heard that in a long time. Maybe, sadly, you've never heard that ever, that you are worth pursuing. In, in the words of Jesus himself, you are worth pursuing. Let's see how we're doing. Okay, I think it's time to, to turn it back over. Okay, we're making progress. Time check, how are we doing? About eight minutes, are we okay? I think we're going to make it. Okay, in the Old Testament, let me take you back to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Okay, the Israelites, they were searching for a king. Okay, they had been ruled by a series of judges. A, a judge was kind of a local authority who oversaw a, a, a certain community. But let me give you a backstory. okay? The government of Israel, like I said, consisted of these judges who, who ruled the entire nation. But the Jewish people looked around with envy on all the nations around them. They saw all these monarchies, all these strong, decisive, brilliant kings, and they said, I want that. We want to have a king. Okay, there's a guy named Samuel. He was a judge, and he was a prophet. And Samuel warns the people that having a king for the Israelites, that's not really the way to go. But they insisted. They wanted a king. They wanted a monarchy. So Samuel is called to anoint and appoint a young man named Saul to be the king of Israel. So Saul, king of Israel, he becomes the first king. He's only 30 years old. He's strong. He's brave. He's fierce in, bat in battle. He he's got these chiseled good looks. He, he epitomizes the kind of king that the Israelites longed for. Seemed like a great leader, eh, just for a short period of time. Eventually, his pride and his lack of faith eroded his integrity and his leadership. He was disobedient to God's guidance, and that would be his downfall. So the Lord commissioned this guy named Samuel. Remember, Samuel was a prophet to seek out the next king of Israel. He found this guy named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. Most of them were these strong, handsome, hard-working, brutish kind of guys. And so they were paraded into Samuel one by one. We assume that this guy is going to be the next king. Okay, maybe not him. This guy is going to be the next king of Israel. Okay, down, down, down you know, over two. The third guy is going to be the next king of Israel. But not so fast, says God. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord tells us, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now we're going to jump ahead to verse 10. Okay? And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So Samuel said to Jesse, are, are these all the children? 
There, there remains the youngest, but he is out tending to his sheep. His name was David, and he was a shepherd. Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until David comes here. So he sent and brought David in. The scripture says that he was ruddy, R-U-D-D-Y. That, that means kind of a reddish complexion. It says he has beautiful eyes, a handsome appearance. And the Lord says, arise, anoint him, for this is he. In other words, David, this, this young shepherd, this is going to be your king. The scripture then in verse 13 says, Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily on David from that day forward. David was the youngest. That means in that culture he was by far the least qualified. The thought of David being selected over his other siblings, his older brothers, was just something that was unimaginable. His father didn't even bring him in from the field. He had him tending to the sheep that day. So, so, so Joe, let me see if I've got this right, okay? Don't judge a book by its cover. Okay, yeah, that, that, that's true. So now, Pastor, can I go home? Well, well not exactly. Okay, this lowly shepherd David would become the king of Israel. Okay, and it says the spirit of the Lord ensured that David was being divinely equipped. Whatever the future held, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And you know what? That applies to your life here in 2019. That applies to my life here at Chapel Roswell. It applies to your life and to my life. The Lord has anointed you with his power and his presence of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord has you in mind for something sacred. Okay, the scripture says that you were saved from something, and the scripture says that you are saved for something. And it's on the inside what matters, regardless of what the world sees on the outside. Speaking of the outside, how are we doing? Well, we're making some progress. Okay, we're almost there. I feel like one of those chefs, you know, that, that kind of cuts it on the table right before your eyes and can toss the knives in the air and catch them and stuff like that, a hibachi kind of guy. But, but we're going to be okay with just the iron and the raw piece of chicken, okay? I still feel it. During my days when I was a, a youth pastor, there was a, a high school senior that was in my youth group. She was in our youth group. She was a, a sweet girl, truly after God's own heart. Um, you could describe her as being really pretty and, and just vivacious and just really a fun, loving, funny person. Um, but, but the world would say that she was a little on the heavy side, okay? And she went off to college, and two months later when she came back, she was like a new person. She had lost a lot of weight, and everybody was ooing and aahing over the beautiful girl that, that had come back from her first season or first semester at Florida. But what they didn't see was the immense pressure that this young 18-year-old was feeling. She was literally starving herself. On a date, she, she would head to the restroom. She would make herself vomit up the food because she didn't want to gain any weight. She was a, a young woman who was so deep-rooted in her faith. She had such a sweet spirit. She was an amazing leader, led a Bible study. She was a brilliant student. But it was her looks, her, her look created by this faulty logic that brought about this great attention, that when she looked the part that the world says you should look, she was amazing and she was brilliant. They didn't talk about her character or about her abilities as a leader. They didn't talk about her brilliance as this young woman of God, but it was all focused on this appearance. So ironically, she was receiving praise and attention for something that was so unhealthy. 
how are we pursuing things in our lives that might be unhealthy? Maybe the world says that they're not. Maybe the world says, yeah, they're great. That's what you want. But, but, but spiritually, they're, they're not healthy. They're not where God wants us to be. Remember, we're, we're, we're justified by what? We're justified by our faith. Not by what we do. Not by what we do, but what Christ has done. The justification by faith. Not on what we do, but based on what Christ has done. And we're given the invitation to accept that, to follow that, to receive that faith, to be made new. That means seeing things with a new set of eyes, maybe even realizing and recognizing and acknowledging that ick that might seem that's inside of us. Even if the outward appearance seems just fine, even if everybody on the surface says, yeah, you're wonderful. But we recognize this ick and the sin that, that just doesn't seem to bubble up quite to the surface. And so the scripture is saying that we're not saved by a set of rules. We're not saved by obeying a bunch of rituals. To the contrary, we're saved by our faith, our faith in Christ. I mean, what a powerful gift that is. Because the truth is, I can obey rules with the best of them. Okay, I can be a real good rules follower. And in my own strength, I might even be able to get pretty far doing that based on the rules. But you know what? After a while, I'm going to fail and I'm going to fall. And then you're going to feel bad, and you're going to feel condemned, and you're going to feel broken, and you're going to feel out of reach. But remember, there's no condemnation in who? There's no condemnation in Christ. Christ came to pay the price for you and to me. And what an awesome invitation, friends, that is. That you've been given this invitation to, to, to accept the power and the forgiveness and the freedom that comes only from and through Jesus. Now, now it's up to us how, how we're going to accept that, if we're going to say yes to that, if we're going to reject that, if we're going to deny that, if we're going to go our own way. So let's see how the chicken is doing. Wow, honestly, if you could see it, it actually doesn't look that horrible up here. It's kind of golden brown. It's maybe not extra crispy like I might prefer. But honestly, it doesn't look that bad. Some of you in the first couple rows, you can even probably smell it. It doesn't look that bad. But when you cut it open, it's just still icky. And it's still kind of raw. Which means I'm going to have to keep preaching for another 32 minutes until we get... No, I'm, I'm kidding. Now, remember, there is no condemnation in Christ. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Sometimes the inside doesn't match the outside. Man looks at appearance. Humanity looks at status. The appearance or athletic ability, the appearance of wealth, the appearance of appearance. But the scripture is saying God is looking at the heart. Are you? Do you? Are you willing to surrender your heart to Christ, allowing him to bring about a new beginning, a fresh start? Are you willing to allow Christ to transform the ways in which you see others, the ways in which you see yourselves, the ways in which you view your circumstances or your situations? Are you willing to take that leap of faith, to, to have that courage to allow God to change us, not to change on our own, not to swell up this willpower so that we can do it, the challenge to understand that we're saved not by the rules, not by the rituals, not by the regulations, but by the sacrifice that Christ has made and the work that the Holy Spirit is continually doing in you and with you and through you. Can you hear that? Can you receive that? Will you? Or are you chicken? 
Maybe that's a better question to ask. <laughs> one thing I think about that for a second. One thing I want to challenge us with as we start off a new year is to allow God to radically and boldly transform us, to make us into the woman and the man, the the father or the husband or the daddy or the grandma that that God has created us lovingly to be. And at the end of our time together during our closing song, I'll invite you to come down as you feel led. We've got a basket there and here and here. And inside, we've got what I call a chalk blessing, chalk blessing. Inside are a couple of pieces of big chalk, and there's a blessing that's written down. And what I'll do is I'll invite you to to take this home, and there's the blessing inside that is a blessing over our homes, okay? Whether it's your house or your apartment or wherever you may dwell, a chalk blessing of your home. It's just something, regardless of your age or your season or your stage of life, that I invite you to take. Do this with your kids, regardless of their age or stage or walk of life. It's just a blessing that we use with a piece of chalk that we just kind of mark something on our door frame to say, you know what, we are proclaiming that this is going to be a year in which we're surrendering to the work that God wants to do. In the book of Exodus, the, the scripture talks about the Israelites or the Jewish people putting blood upon their, their door so, so that the, the, the Holy Spirit or, or God's presence, or, or in this case, the, the, the curse would pass over their home, the, hence the, the, the term Passover. And this is a house blessing that we can do just to say, you know what, God, we're going to proclaim that 2019 is going to be a year, a new way, a new life, a new truth in which we are going to pursue you with all that we are, with all that we have, with all our strength, Not because we think we can get it done in our own power or our own might, but God, because we're going to surrender to you. And I pray that we can do that together. Will you pray with me, friends? Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your unconditional love. It's a love that you lavish upon us without regard to our past, without regard to our mistakes, to our jobs, to our marital status, our income level, the kind of car we drive. That, Lord, regardless of what the world says about us, the scripture says that you claim us as your own. There's nothing anyone in here could have done that will cause you to turn your back on them. And so, Father God, we ask that your Holy Spirit will, will penetrate even the darkest corners of our hearts, exposing that things that, or those things that you want to change within us. Father, we repent of those times when we have failed to see someone through your eyes, instead seeing them through the lens of our own human expectations. We repent for the times in our lives in which we are more caught up in the outward than we are the inward. That Lord, like a piece of chicken may look done on the outside, but inward it's still raw. So Lord, what are those raw places in our lives that you want to take, that you want to seal, that, that you want to be made new? Despite our differences, we are all your children, and each of us, the scripture says, is so loved by you that though we are sinners, the Bible says, Christ came into this world to bring light into darkness, to bring hope into despair, to bring peace into chaos. And Jesus is still offering each of us the same thing for our lives here and now that through his death and resurrection, we've been forgiven. We've been given that gift, that promise, that assurance of eternal life and your power and your presence, Lord, in this one. So we come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
So I'm going to ask that you stand for our final song this morning. I promise I'm going to get Purelled up, okay? So if you shake hands with me afterwards, there's not going to be the residue of the raw chicken. But I pray that it can be a visible and a tangible reminder of your invitation to come forth to take a chalk blessing, to use this, to declare that 2019 is going to be different, not because of our own strength, but because of his in us.